I'm speaking today with Edra Waterman, the Library Director for the Hamilton East Library System, and Katie Lorton, the Deputy Director of Experience, also with the Hamilton East Libraries. Just so you know, the Hamilton East Library System includes both the Noblesville and the Fishers Library. So, Edra, welcome back, and Katie, welcome. We haven't talked to you before. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. Great, great to see you both. And I, uh, as anybody uh, in a in a public setting, and I had, you know, I was a manager for a federal government agency locally for years. I can't even imagine what it would be like to deal with what you folks are dealing with trying to run a local library system. So I'm going to each ask ask each of you to to answer this question. I'm sure you look at it from a little bit different perspective. I'll ask Edward to start. Take me on your journey as library officials or as a library official from March when it started to become clear you were moving toward a closure or shutting down and take us to where you are today. Okay. Well, that's not a very big ask or anything, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to... for about, what, 50 years <laughs> since then? Yeah, it um, seems that way, yes. Yeah, it, it's really it, it's really interesting because um, if if you if you go back to that that second week in March, um, there was just a lot of um, that week was really really interesting because every day, every single day, something major changed. So on Monday, we what we were hearing from officials and what we were seeing was okay. We think something's going to happen. Um, on Tuesday, we heard, okay, something is happening, but we think we're okay. On Wednesday, uh, we got a message from the schools that, oh, we're, we have no plans to close. On Thursday, we had a meeting where we were talking about, okay, what, what if, do we need to cancel? We were talking about, do we need to cancel programs? You know, do we need to cancel our, we have an event on Saturday, do we need to cancel that? And then on Friday, the schools closed, Hamilton County, um, you know, we, we were like, oh, God, and we were saying, okay, we'll, we'll cancel our event on Saturday, and then we'll reassess on Monday. And by Sunday, we had notification that Hamilton County had its first cases, and we decided about a half an hour before the library was scheduled to open that day that we needed to shut it down. So that week was just very, very fast-paced. Information was changing. It was, we were talking constantly with the directors of the other libraries in Hamilton County. We were in contact with public health. We were just constantly, all of us, looking for information. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you hearing? What are the schools doing? How does that affect what we're, what we need to do? How do we keep our patrons safe? How do we keep our staff safe? So that week was very, very fluid, very um, just change, 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 change. When we decided to um, to actually shut down um, on that Sunday, actually, I came into the building and sent everybody home. I was like, you need to leave. <laughs> Go home. Stay home. We'll be in contact. And it was a relief, really, to have made that decision because that entire week, you know, it is not a small thing to close down the public library. It is not. We We are so important to so many people's lives and their work and their education and their um, their process, their routine, everything. It, we did not take it lightly. So that week was really, really intense. Can I bring uh, then, can I bring Katie in here for just a moment? Because yeah, I know course. there's more to the story, but Katie, let me ask you this. When you entered that period of time that Edry just talked about, when everyone was sent home, what did that feel like for you and the rest of the staff that you were in contact with at the time? 
Oh, wow. Um, it, it felt, um, for me, you know, being sort of our operations officer uh, at the library, I think it felt very much like I was transplanted in an, into an entirely different reality. You know, we had been chugging along. We had our, our goals that we were working on for the quarter that were all based on this assumption of just business as usual. And then in a moment's time, we have to completely reshift to we're closed. We don't know how long we're going to be closed. Eventually, we're going to reopen. We can expect when we reopen that it's going to look different. So now we have to chart this course. So for a while, it, it definitely felt like we weren't sure what point on the horizon we were sailing our ship towards. Uh, but it was um, there was a lot of work in that first week uh, after we closed to gather information, uh, to check in with each other as leaders in the library, to check in with staff. And uh, yeah, we 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 got our our um, bearings uh, with pretty quickly, I'd say, because our mission didn't change. And I think that was that was really helpful was being able to figure out, OK, what is our mission and what are the essential services that we can provide even though we're not in person? And so we de we defined our essential services in kind of these four major categories. Um, and that really charted our course for the whole rest of the way for, you know, when we're completely closed when we've got staff in the building, but no patrons. And then the now when we're able to bring patrons back. In. Well, we'll take Edra back in here because here, here you are, you're trying to figure out what you can. I'm just, if I can insert something, I do remember talking to uh, Dr. Alan Borth, the local school superintendent who, uh, appreciated the work you had done. There are still many people in the HSC school system who do not have internet access. And I know it's not the best situation, but you did set up hotspots in your parking lots, did you not? Yes, we did. Edra, you want to take that up, up and talk about that? Sure. So um, the first thing we did was on that Monday after we closed on Sunday, our entire leadership team convened and we met every single day throughout the time the library was was um, in this initial closed phase. And one of the first things that we did was get the ball rolling on, okay, we need to get internet out to the parking lots. Schools are closed, not everybody has access. We know the schools are setting up some parking lot access. So what do we need to do to do that? So that was a, that was a very, um, that was an initial high priority to, to get that going. Um, transitioning as many services as we could to virtual was part of that first week conversation as well. Clarifying for staff, what what do you do at home to continue to participate? You know, what are our expectations, et cetera? What does our community need from us? And to Katie's point, what are the core areas of service and how do we transition those? How do we do that if we're not here? Because one of the big things that we have always depended on is our physical presence and our place in our community as a as that third place, right? Um, the space is very important. And when we lost access to that, we had to figure out, okay, what is it we still can still provide without having the doors open? And that one of the things that came up really early was that that parking lot Wi-Fi. 
And, and Katie, if I can pick it up there, you were meeting on a regular basis. You were trying to figure out where you go next. So what were some of the services you were able to uh, pick up and, and start providing as you started to get your bearings? How did that work out? Was that were or were not able? Well, just, yeah, I mean, what you were able to do, obviously, it's you pretty much, uh, I think Edris expected, uh, did tell everybody what they were not able, you as folks were not able to do at the time, and that was the frustration. So as you began to figure, okay, what can we do? We have online, you know, we can do the, the hotspot, we can do that for the school uh, and the people who are, or who need the access for schools. But as you thought, okay, where do we go next? How did you as a group work on that? And what were you able to provide as you as you were in this period where you're, you're still closed? You can't open up yet, but you, you still want, okay, we're a library. What do we do now? Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned those four areas uh, of our essential services. And so we defined those um, really early on as, first of all, um, the library being a trusted source of accurate information, um, the library providing accesses access to resources, so meaning the materials that you check out, whether those are print materials or e-resources, um, providing access to internet and technology, and then providing opportunities for engagement and enrichment. So during that first really long stay-at-home phase, um, the way we provided that was um, social media and blog content that our librarians worked really hard on building and curating that was related to not only our closure, you know, what did the public need to know about what, you know, about the situation with the library, but also how to access our resources, where they could find trusted health information, information about the taxes, um, the census, and even information about family activities and the homeschooling that was going on, educational enrichment that could support our community um, during the stay at home order. Uh, we were also responding to patron questions through email and also on social media. Um, we mentioned the extension of the Wi-Fi into the parking lot and we really pushed our e-resources. Um, we provided a way uh, for users to get an instant digital access card through our website. Um, and we were actually able to serve nearly 600 new patrons in that way. We increased our limits for our e-resource checkouts um, and we even added a few new resources. Um, many of our databases, uh, database providers gave us free or expanded access uh, to help meet our community needs during that time. For example, Ancestry, um, usually that's a resource that patrons have to come to the library to use, uh, but they extended that where you could use it from home. And that was a big deal for our uh, genealogy junkies uh, in the area. And um, we really pushed and expanded our spending on our, our e-resources as well, reallocating the funds that we would have normally spent on our print materials. So. I know it's a long story. I know it's a long story for for all of you, but I'm going to ask Edra just kind of wrap this up. So, when did you realize? At what point in time did you realize? You know, we are now in a position with what the governor is saying, the health officials are saying. Now we can at least start to plan to open up the building. How did how did that go? For I'm sure it was a good feeling, but I'm sure it was a lot of work as well. Um, so we never stopped for a minute thinking about what it might mean to reopen the building. Not, not our, Katie mentioned the horizon. One of the questions that Katie asked me early on was, do you see the library reopening? And I said, 
absolutely, I see the library reopening. So we've framed a lot of our work and a lot of our talk around what, what do we need to know once it is time to reopen? What do we need to know to be ready for that? And it was not smooth. I mean, I don't want to make it seem like we were like, okay, we're going to turn this phase on. It wasn't because it was there. It was, there's a concept of um, gradually then suddenly, right? So we had weeks of being closed where we didn't have any staff in the building, where the entire state was on shutdown, where we were planning all of this. But when the governor came out with the back on track plan and we, we have caught um, Indiana library Federation was great about keeping us connected with the governor's office and knowing that some of these things were coming and some general framework of what was coming. We kind of knew that there was a plan coming and it was going to have phases, but it felt like a switch was flipped when that actually happened. <laughs> so um, it was really helpful to be able to have our internal work on what does our what, do, what are our phases look like? When that plan came out, we were able to, Katie was able to overlay the phases that we had been talking about onto that Governor Holcomb's back on track plan. And that really helped us provide a framework and a roadmap for the timing of when we were going to do what we needed to do. So we were working on being very deliberate about ramping up our services in a way that gave our staff the necessary time to wrap their heads around this huge change because it's not easy. It's not, it wasn't a matter of just being at home all the time and then coming back in the library business as usual. We needed to build in time for people to get used to how that felt so that they would be able to talk to people on the phone in a way that was helpful, would be feel comfortable in the space. We needed to make sure we got our hands on PPE that was appropriate and we were able to use different resources to do that. So we felt like once we had the back on track plan, we had been phasing all of our stuff too, and we were able to really blend those two. So it seemed clear to us when the back on track plan came out that the, um, that the initial, uh, I think it was May 4th date, which was kind of that, that phase, was it two or three? Whatever phase it was that allowed, um, it wasn't the shutdown anymore. I think it was phase three when we felt like, okay, it's time for staff to come back in the building now. And we can then have staff back in the building and start planning what curbside pickup will look like, which will be our next phase. Can so ask we you, were able to use that. Yeah. Let, let me ask Katie to come in. And, and I think one of the big steps was when you started the curbside service. And oh, my wife's a big fan of reserving books and picking them up. I usually was the one that picked it up for her, although she often did it herself. And, uh, that was a Katie. I have to think that was a big step. And uh, what I find is interesting, even though the building is now open, you still have curbside service. So talk about that. Yes, we do. Um, curbside has been something that you know. I, I think even before COVID, we were always hoping that someday we could figure out a way to get that started. Um, it was it was becoming a trend in libraries. Um, so we were excited to be able to take the opportunity to do it, even under the uh, adverse conditions. Um, but uh, we've kept it open, even though the, the buildings are open now, because this is a gradual process. And, uh, you know, we are still under a, a public health issue. And uh, some, some patrons, some members of our community may have health concerns. Uh, that they're not comfortable yet coming into a public space where they're 
um, potentially going to be around others. Even though we're, we're really taking steps to ensure a safe environment, we're pushing social distancing, everyone is being recommended to wear masks, there may be some folks who it's just, they're just still not ready for that. And so we've kept curbside available as an option to serve those folks. But we have moved it to um, by appointment um, so that we're able to balance our capacity for continuing curbside service with also the, the in-person demand. I know you, both you ladies have only scratched the surface. I don't think the whole story we could do in a 30 minute podcast. So let me get uh, specify that uh, there was a lot more to it than that, but I think we've got some of the major points. I'm going to ask Edra to come in here, and uh, just so happens the timing of this podcast on the 24th of June is such that your library board is actually meeting the day after we record this. So what what items are on that agenda that may be of interest to your patrons? Uh, thanks, Larry. So probably the the one of the things that's been very uh, interesting about this time is that while we are highly engaged and focused on the acute issue right now of how to provide library service during a pandemic, we are simultaneously thinking about the future of libraries. And we are we are convinced and we are we have not lost our confidence and our um, conviction that library service is essential and that once that we will continue to need to provide library service in the future. So the timing is interesting because right we're in the middle, we have been for the last couple of years, in the middle of planning um, the next improvement to our library buildings. Anyone who's been in Fishers knows that pre-COVID it was it's a busy place. Parking is an issue. Getting into the building as a pedestrian is an issue. They're building a trail. So there's a lot of things that we need to do to our physical libraries, including some planned maintenance and replacement of HVAC equipment, things like that. So we've been planning those projects uh, prior to needing to kind of flip to focusing on how do we reopen in a pandemic. And that is one, one of the items on our agenda for this month is to talk about that project and the planning that's going on with that project and um, how that will be, how we have been um, careful in making sure that we can fund these improvements without increasing the library's tax rate. Um, and so, so that's gonna be one of the topics at our meeting on Thursday is to talk about how that planning is going and conversations that we've had with the city of Fishers, conversations we've had with the city of Noblesville on talking about what it is we're planning to do to improve access to both of our buildings. One thing that uh, I've I found interesting is is I visited the Fisher's Library this week. I'll ask Katie to, to comment first, and Andrew, you can certainly chime in later. But I did take a look around. I didn't go to the youth area, and I didn't go to the big uh, conference rooms, but I did go to the uh, area there, the reference section, and some of the other areas of the library. And I'm the kind of guy who likes to hang around the reference section, you know, read some magazines and some newspapers. But Katie, I did notice something. All those nice cushy chairs are gone. I assume that's by design. Yes, it is. Um, we we did remove uh, most of our furniture from the floor for this initial phase of reopening. And that is to support social distancing and help us keep the number of people in our buildings low right now. Um, a common misperception about the library is that oh, it's a really quiet place and they're not very busy down there. And, and Larry, you can attest to this if you've been to Fishers. Um, 
that's not us. We are definitely a place where people congregate. Um, so again, going back to those essential services with the library being uh, a place to gather, to study, to play, those just aren't as central to our mission as connecting patrons with information, with resources, with technology. So for now, um, those features of the library experience are still on hold. And that's hard for us because we want the library to be the heart of the community, to be a place that people feel like they can relax and stay, um, that they can they can enjoy the space. Um, but for right now, it's it's just not safe to do that. And we're, we're gradually um, reopening and uh, we'll layer that back on. You know, Edra, I did see that all those chairs are still there. They're just roped off. So you do plan on putting them in there. And I fully understand why you must do this for spacing purposes and, and everyone's health is is uh, is certainly at the center of all this. But uh, uh, tell me a little bit about what the dif- differences people are going to see if once they do walk in the building, either in Noblesville and, or Fishers, and, and, and see how things are working as of today. Sure. Um, so it, it is a little bit different. Um, one of the guiding principles for our experience team as they were developing the model for reopening was to think about how can we make the experience of walking into the library feel, even in this different stage, feel familiar, feel comfortable. What we wanted to do was to to let, to offer services that we could offer that would feel the same as before. So when you talk about um, the furniture being removed, we we made this the conscious choice to to make to really focus on what is it that we are offering and how can that experience feel the same. So for example, we removed all of the study tables and we're not opening our study rooms because gathering in the library and coming into study is not a service we can offer. But we're allowing people to browse the stacks, to select their books, to check out, to pick up holds, um, to ask questions, to uh, use computers in a way that is very similar to what they're used to. Um, so when people come in, if you're coming in to pick up a hold or browse for books and check out, your experience is not going to be different than what you're used to. If you're coming in to ask a question, the librarians will have masks on, but you will still be able to ask that question. You'll still be able to use that computer. You'll still be able to print. Um, uh, but the big difference that you noticed is that the furniture is not there. We wanted to send the message without having to have like a big long posted list of rules. We want people to understand when they come in, oh, there's no furniture, so I can't sit here and read. <laughs> you know, but we, we want to make sure that that we are, as we layer these things back in, that we're not changing our policies. We're not changing so much that you have to have a tour guide to figure out how to navigate the space and the services the library is offering. But we are wanting to change our spaces so that we are taking advantage of that, of what we do have, which is lots of space. So physical distancing is something that because we have removed our furniture, because we are not able to support study and hanging out, we're able to allow people to browse the stacks like they're accustomed to. And right now we're prioritizing access to things that you could only get in person at the library over things that like studying, like playing with the toys, like um, programming, like like all of those things. We're prioritizing that that experience of coming in and accessing our resources over 
the experience of having a, a community center. Sort of piggybacking on this, and Katie, I'll let you give the first answer on this one. One of my favorite places to go in the library is the Ignite Space on the lower level of the Fisher's Library. It's where I record a lot of podcasts back in the days when we did them in person. We're doing this by Zoom, as almost all of my uh, my podcasts are on Skype or Zoom these days. But Katie, explain what you are. I, I saw, I didn't go down there, but I saw some of the signs. So explain what Ignite can and cannot do in, in this environment. Yeah, um, Ignite Studio is available by appointment. Um, so again, just like the rest of the library, it's it's not a space where you can just come in and hang out. But if you need to use um, our, our AV studio, our uh, fab lab equipment, like the 3D printers or the laser en- engraver, uh, if you need to use the Cricut machine or a sewing machine, all of that is reservable. You can make a two hour appointment and come down um, and use that in the space. And if you don't make a pre-appointment, you can also walk in. And as long as there's not currently an appointment, uh, they can serve you at that at that moment. So you have to be doing one of those specific things. But as long as you're using the equipment in the space, absolutely, um, Ignite Studio is open. And we also have um, our creativity packs, which we launched when we were um, still just curbside. And uh, the kit library in Ignite, which is a really popular draw, that is offline right now. And our creativity packs are there uh, as a way to continue to uh, provide that, that access to engagement and to creativity. And that is basically just a free take and make craft. Um, it's designed for anyone school age and up. Um, so those were available during our curbside period and they're also still available for pickup in the library. You know, racism is now of interest to a lot of people, uh, obviously, with all that we're dealing with in America and locally right now. And I, I, Edra, I'll let you uh, chime in on this first. Uh, When someone walks into one of your library buildings, Noblesville or Fishers, and they say, I'd like to know more about the history of racism, maybe even some of the local, there's a lot of local history that may surprise you. There were a lot of uh, African-American settlements in the Noblesville area. And yes, there is a history with the Klan. It's not the best, but you need to know your history. So if someone right. comes in and says that, what, where do you usually send them? How do you help them out with that and with either books or reference materials or other materials that uh, may be of interest to them? So we're very fortunate here at Hamilton East Public Library to have on, on our staff as in a different role, uh, David Highway, who is our Hamilton County historian and one of the really um, one of the really great resources that we have um, are we have an archive of David's blogs on uh, local history, and he has addressed uh, a number of blogs to uh, the uh, di- the surprisingly diverse history of Hamilton County, and uh, so those are available um, on our website. We actually bumped one of those on Juneteenth that talked about. Uh, the history of Emancipation Day in Hamilton County. Um, And we have all of that information uh, in our Indiana room and also accessible through the the work that David's done to really shine a light on it. Um, Like our uh, Ignite Studio, our Indiana room resources are also available by appointment. Um, We also, um, with, we've also done some work and really tried to beef up our collections on anti-racist resources 
for for people to to be able to access and check out. And we're we're continuing to work on on developing that. Um, but yeah, we've we've got a lot of uh, our our staff have um, really done some great work in pulling together resource lists. And we have some blogs that are not that are, that aren't specifically local history, but that are about anti-racist reads and anti-racist resources that are available um, here at the library and um, online. Yes, I think David David Highway is somebody I, I I do believe is one of the great assets in the entire community, and I know you're happy to have him on your staff. Uh, I've yes. learned a lot from him myself, and uh, I would absolutely recommend his blog to anybody. Uh, who has any interest in local history. He has something new to offer every time he posts. And uh, I would highly recommend uh, going to your website and doing that. So, Katie, any last thoughts? We're about out of time here. Uh, any any last thoughts on that subject or any other as we wrap up the podcast? Uh the only other thing that I that I would like to highlight is, uh, you know, our face-to-face programs are um, continue to be unavailable, even though we have opened to the public. But uh, we did, uh, when we closed to the public, we immediately started working on shifting that experience to virtual as well. So we've been developing video content and virtual programs that our patrons can view and attend. Um, we've had a series of how-to art videos out of our Ignite studio, a few live events with our current maker and residents, which have been wonderful. Um, and our children's librarians have been creating videos such as Lego challenges, STEM experiments, uh, sing-alongs, thing, things like that. Um, and some of our regular library events have shifted uh, to online. So I just want to make sure that people are aware uh, that if you are looking for an opportunity to connect um, and come to a library program, that those are available. Uh, they're just in that that virtual format right now. And, and last thing I'll say, Edra, uh, I several months ago I went to an event that you had when you had face-to-face events. It was a group of local authors, and you had them all there in the Fisher's Library. I brought my tape recorder along to say, well, maybe I can interview one or two. They all were willing to talk to me. That ended up, I think, being about an hour long. But wow. it, was, it really moved fast because I went from one author to another. So a lot of them were fiction. A few had nonfiction books to sell. Uh, really impressed with, uh, I think they sold a lot of books that day, too. But I'm very impressed with the lineup of authors you put together, every one with local connections. I'm sure you're looking forward to getting those face-to-face uh, activities back on track when the health officials say it's okay. Yeah, we, we really are. Um, we have some really great stuff coming up this fall that we have shifted to virtual because we just don't know. Um, so we've got some, some uh, nationally known authors who are going to be uh, coming in and doing some uh, – electronic virtual opportunities to, to speak with them and talk about their books. And we're going to have some of those books available for people to, to own. Um, we've, we've got our friends of the library have supported us, have given us money to purchase books to give away uh, to support that. So stay tuned. Um, all of our information is on our website, which we redesigned to work more, to work better virtually. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to that, but we are committed to continue to provide those engagement opportunities in any way that we need to during this global pandemic and to make sure that we are participating in our community's desire to continue to move forward, to continue to do what we can do safely while still making sure that those resources are available. 
you know, I could talk to librarians for a long time, and I love talking to you, but there are limits on how much I can do a, for a podcast. And I do want to thank you again so much for talking to me under these circumstances, which are tough for both of you and all of your staff, leaders, and, and even your the rest of your staff. Edra Waterman is the Library Director for Hamilton East Libraries. That's Noblesville and Fishers. And Katie Lorton is the Deputy Director of Experience for both libraries. So, Ladies, uh, congratulations on the the fact that you've somehow been able to navigate all this, and the best uh, of luck to you as you move forward. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Larry. It's been a pleasure.